You're listening to Jim and Mike Talk. Recording at the, did you say, Seven Studios in beautiful Washington, New Jersey. And now, here are your hosts, Jim and Mike. Hey everybody, this is Jim Thatcher. Today we have an interview with Mark A. Richardson. He's worked on many movie and TV shows as a prop master. And we'll also have a friend of mine in the studio to join us, Darren Out. He will be joining us for the interview too. So let's get to it and enjoy. On today's show, we have a special guest who is a prop master, actor, and collector of movie memorabilia. He's worked on such movies as Rob Zombie's Halloween, Devil's Rejects, Piranha 3D, and many Power Ranger shows. Welcome to Jim and Mike Talk. Hey. Welcome, Mark. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. How are you today, Mark? Doing good. Doing good. Where are you guys at? We're in New Jersey. Oh, New Jersey. Very cool. Yeah. Chiller. Washington. Were you, a, were you a film buff when you were a kid? Were you? Oh, yeah. I've always been into horror movies. Always. Okay. You know, I, horror movies. And I think when I, when I was a kid, I was definitely into horror films and James Bond. You know, oh, okay. Secret Agent stuff. Get Smart. Right. Man from Uncle. All that stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's one of the first films that you remember, like, really affecting you or having an impact on you? It was one of those movies that I shouldn't have saw was Corp Grinders. And I just remember <laughs> it just scaring the living hell out of me. I mean, it, 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 it scarred me, but uh, I, I loved it. You know, it was just really frightening. I mean, back then it felt like I was watching some kind of porno. It was just so violent and so gory and stuff. <laughs> My uh, father would work nights and uh, every Friday night we had uh, horror movies late at night on Friday. My mom would let me stay up and I would, I would, sit at the end of the couch on the floor and my mom would fall asleep on the couch. But I, you know, I have all these memories of my mom and she would just get paranoid, just freaked out on everything. And like mm-hmm. uh, one night we were watching crawl, the crawling hands. And I remember her wake stirring. She was starting to wake up and we, she'd watch about half of it. And she literally was wiping her face and woke up and went, ah! <laughs> and those were my fondest mom, memories. Mom. <laughs> my fondest memories was, uh, you know, that. And we, uh, then we had our horror host was uh, a, a guy named Seymour. And mm-hmm. the guys, we had a, a friend of mine down the street that had like a, his his sister had a like a, a dollhouse that we converted into our fort, and uh, we would take we had an old black and white TV, and we would get our our uh, our hostess apple pies and candies and cokes, and we'd go up there and watch Seymour in the in in his little uh, his little his sister's uh, Barbie house, giant Barbie house, and I remember that was great memories and stuff. Yeah. So that was that was a horror show with Seymour. Seymour, yeah, he was a horror host. You know, okay. he, yeah. He, we he had was, Zach, Zachary. Of course. Killer Legendary. Theater. Yeah. Legendary. The first film you worked on was Mask of Red Death in 1989. Was this your first time on a movie set? I think that was the first time 
working as a crew member on Mask of the Red Death. Um, uh, that was for Corman. Corman, Roger Corman's studio was literally a lumber plant at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had done uh, some extra work and stuff prior to that. But uh, this was the first time I was a crew member and I was working with set dressing. And I remember Roger Corman was on set and they had built this, uh, this stairwell and he was talking to somebody, but he was talking about redoing the terror, um, not redo making it, but just putting extra scenes and using footage from there and saying it was going to be found footage and they put it back in the, so they were going to shoot it in the look of, you know, the sixties film. And I was thinking, wow, that's, that's horrible. But at the same time, that's really cool. I, you know, and I would have been, what do you mean they found footage of the terror with, you know, Boris Karloff and stuff. I, I got to see this, but I just remembered, you know, listening to him and I wasn't even supposed to be there. I was around the corner and hearing him, you know, the way he was thinking and the way he was working even back then to manipulate mm-hmm. these films. What is a uh, set dresser? Like what did that entail? We would go, we'd go to, where we were going to shoot and we would dress the set, say it. Cause I remember we had to do like an old English town. We would go there and um, we'd bring the, basically this, a lot of the sets and the set dressing uh, like a, a wagon would, you know, we'd put the hay up there and the wheels and, you know, all the, all the like background stuff. We would do that. Mm-hmm. So that was almost like a prop master or is that? No, um, yeah. it's, it's different. I mean, the, pro, the, the prop master, like if I was the, prop guy on that i wouldn't i wouldn't be there prior to shooting i would show up on the day and i would have what the peasants would have like if they're carrying stuff like that i would be able to hand that out and usually a lot of times i'd take set dressing not supposed to but you know if we didn't have enough props especially back then we didn't have the budget we'd take set dressing hand it out but yeah the the prop guy would pretty much uh, wait until the day of and we would have the the main props for the for the movie Mm mm-hmm did you always see yourself working in movies? I've always loved it. You know, I've always loved working in films and stuff. I honestly thought I would be Sean Penn by now. I thought I was going to have like yeah. this <laughs> fantastic acting career, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, but I've always loved being around. I've always, you know, it's always been very exciting to me and it, it is exciting. It's a pain in the ass. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be teaching, you know, uh, um, Brian Austin Green, how to tear apart a Beretta. And then, you know, some mm-hmm. day player will come, hey, can you get me a chair? You know, and I'm putting out the chair. It's a uh-huh. weird, being props is a weird job because you do the most dangerous, you know, as, a, as far as a crew member, nothing like stunts. But as far as, you know, you, you're, wep- you're working with weapons and knives and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. you're still bringing out the chairs for everybody. So it's, 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 that's a humbling experience. Yeah. I know you worked on a lot of Power Rangers. Did you work on all the Power Rangers? I did for the first 10 years. I did okay. the very first episode. Uh, it went all through different facets of Power Rangers till Wild Force. And uh, during Wild Force, Disney bought it. And they, were gonna, they fired everybody and took it to New Zealand. And, you know, okay. and I, I wish I wouldn't have. I was a little petty about it just because I'd been there for so long. Um, I quit as soon as Disney took over. I, I walked off. Uh, it was almost, I should have waited you know, like three months later, the, you know, the show ended. I should have rode the whole wave. And I don't know why. Mm-hmm. They I, it took it to New Zealand for the money then. Yeah. The, well, I turned the show. Um, I, I made the show Union. 
And like, I was mm-hmm. constantly, and I was tight with the producers. I, I, I love the cast and crew, but you know, I wanted, I wanted a medical, I wanted to, you know, the show was making millions of dollars and here it's a non-union show. And um, I was already union. So I, I was getting everybody to sign the cards and tell, you know, getting the union involved. And uh, what happened was Haim Saban had the president, I can't remember what president was staying at his house. And I went to our union leader and I go, listen, you need to put it out there that Haim Saban has a non-union show in California and he's got the president. Uh, and, and we turned that week and like, you know, everybody was excited about, you know, turning and the producers were coming up to me cause they knew I was cool with the crew and I was cool with uh, the producers um, and go, Hey Mark, there's somebody trying to turn the show. Could you, um, you know, do you know who it is? And I go, yeah, but I can't really say he goes, well, can you tell them, you know, there's reasons why. And I, and I even thought, you know, saying, I go, no, there's not reasons. We have the money. We have, you know, it's a better, and, and I, I want to put this out there because everybody goes how cheap Power Rangers was. You know, when we shut down, we would get a bonus check that would carry us through that whole hiatus. We don't get that. You never get that. Mm-hmm. They did do things that was different. They were saving tons of money, but they did take care of their crew, but not to the point where, it was a union crew where, you know, we're a hundred times better off. But anyway, we're at the meeting where we're turning uh, the union uh, reps there and stuff. And uh, the producers were there and the, our union rep goes, folks, we, let's have a hand from Mark Richardson. He's been trying to turn this show for five years. And I just went, <laughs> oh my God. And I looked over, I looked over at the producers and they're just like shaking their heads. Of course it was you. Cause the whole time they thought I was their spy, you know, trying to tell them information. Was, and what the union rep, you don't do that. That was the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But yeah, that happened. Did that lead to working with Rob Zombie or where, where there's, other projects in between Halloween, I think was 2006. I, I did, I did tons of low budget films. I mean, I was mm-hmm. associate, associate producer for trauma. So I did the Newcomb high films well, the oh, two okay. and three. And so <clears throat> when, when I wasn't working, I was working. I, whatever show I was on, if I was on hiatus, I'd go and work on other shows. Halloween was just a fluke. In fact, I wasn't the prop master. I was the set master. And mm-hmm. yesterday um, I was at ISS. ISS is like, the greatest, hugest prop house in the world. And uh, jo- uh, John Bruno, who was the prop master, was sitting there, and we, we you know, bumped into each other. And I literally was uh, at ISS, and John was talking to my sales rep, a lady named Linda Montana back then, and he said he wanted somebody, that she want, he wanted somebody to work with him that knew horror movies, and, and she just turned around and pointed at me, and he walked up, and he goes, mm-hmm. hey, you want to work on a, a Halloween <laughs> Rob Zombie film? And I went, Hell yes. And that's how I got it. That's, I mean, that's how I got that job. Power Rangers is the same thing. I was doing these low budget night shoots, um, PM entertainment and the Yuta Aku was the production designer. He literally would say, well, you need to come and interview for this job. I was doing nighters and I, I just couldn't get up, you know, mm-hmm. you know, to interview at 11 o'clock when I wrapped at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And finally he called me, he goes, listen, if you want this job, come get it. If you don't, just don't be here tomorrow. And I showed up. It was, you know, it seems like every time I get these really outrageous jobs, it's just, it's like handed to me. And I don't, you know, I, and I was just lucky to be in them, you know. I mean, you and, worked on the De- Devil's Rejects too. That was before yeah, Halloween, right? Yeah. Um, what, what I did on Devil's Rejects was, uh, and it was the, the prop master 
uh, of that I worked with. I did Angel and a bunch of other stuff for this prop master. His name was Anderson. He moved to Australia, but he he called me and he knew I knew I do weapons, and mm-hmm. uh, they brought me in for the Firefly uh, shootout scenes to work with ISS with their weapons department. So I did I did that, and then he had to leave. And so the the last two days on uh, Devil's Rejects, I was the prop master, but I did weapons on the. Uh, on the uh, firefly shoot and stuff like that which was great because uh you know i whenever i do a horror film i mean if it's three o'clock in the morning and i'm covered in blood i'm a happy guy you know <laughs> and there's um there there was a prop failure in the halloween movie uh, yeah you know I, I, yeah yeah there was a couple flaws and you know mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have I, for, for almost every show I'll, I'll have a story which is not too good uh, because. It, mm-hmm. uh, but what it was is, um, I, I hope that you're talking about the retractable knife. Yeah, is yeah. That, yeah. Okay, because yep. um, uh, there's a couple other things. But uh, <laughs> <clears throat> we're down in the basement and they have uh, sawdust on the floor, and Scout, who's playing uh, Laurie Strode, is is with. Um, Tyler Maine, who's Jason, I mean, Michael Myers. I just worked with King Otters. I got yeah. Jason on my mind. Um, but uh, uh, Tyler Maine, he's, he's trying to show Lori a picture of him as, a, uh, you know, of them together when he, she was a baby. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and she's wanting to kill Michael Myers. And so mm-hmm. while she, he's like, like it's kind of like a, the only tender moment you'll ever see in Halloween. <laughs> so he's like, you know, you know, look, you know, he's got his mask on. Look at my, the photo of us, you know, and she sneaks over and, and grabs his knife and then stabs him. Well, I had explained to him that they can't drop this knife because they had put blood gel on it. And blood gel is, 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 is exactly, it's like, it's like jam, but it, it, it looks really, really good. And Rob loves that look. Well, she stabs him. He, you know, he takes the hit and the knife falls. And now it falls onto the sawdust on the ground. And so I wanted to get it, switch it out, clean it up. But Rob goes, keep going, keep going, do it again. This is perfect. This is good, perfect. And I'm looking at Rob like, you know, and I'm looking at the knife. I'm looking at Rob and Rob's like, like if I was to say, no, we have to cut, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I know Rob's going to be pissed off at me, but I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a big gamble. Yeah. Yeah. No, do I want Tyler Maine pissed off at me because the, the knife's not going <laughs> to retract or Rob Zombie pissed off at me because I just blew his movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I let it ride. And, uh, I, and it's always been a, uh, you know, uh, a, conflict of, of when i tell the story of how i should have played this out because i am very very safety conscious when, when it mm-hmm. comes to weapons and this is a stunt tyler main is a stunt man and i you know i'm thinking you know if it doesn't it's still a blunt instrument but it's a yeah. girl stabbing him with you know it's it's going to retract a little bit you know so i'm pl- watching the scene play out and I know, you know, waiting for the scene where she stabs him, I can see the sawdust on the knife. And I'm just like, this is hell for me. And Rob's like, oh, yeah, Rob was just like, and, and this is the scene that's in the movie. This is the, mm-hmm. when you watch Halloween, oh. this is the scene because he loved it so much that I would have destroyed and no one would ever saw this. I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so I'm watching and she stabs him and he takes the blow and it looks fantastic. <laughs> Because it really hurt him. And they said, cut. And Tyler stood up 
and I could see him in that Michael Myers mask. <laughs> Where is he? Where is he? Scanning the, the, the crowd of people. And he finally sees me and he walks up to me and I got my, and he's a huge, he's a massive man in the Michael Myers mask. Fury is wanting to actually, this is, his best performance. If if they if Rob could have got this on film, they would have said he was the most frightening Michael Myers there ever was. And he comes over to me and he has the knife in his hand. <laughs> and I'm looking at him going, and as as a horror nerd, I'm going, this is the greatest experience yeah. I've ever had. Uh -huh. But as a prop uh, on set master, I'm going, I'm doomed. And uh, I, I, I go, listen, I'm sorry. It's the blood. You know, blah, blah, blah. I go, I, you know, I didn't, you know. And he goes, well, it really hurt. And I go, I apologize. I, you know, and I'll, I'll make sure it's cleaned and fixed and everything else. You know, it, 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 you know I think about this. I mean, I, 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 it didn't do any, it wouldn't have done any kind of major damage. It's not going to penetrate mm -hmm. him and stuff. But, it, you know, I'm sure it hurt him. You know? Yeah, he had bruises on his ribs or yeah, yeah. So, breastbone or something. I, I, I do feel guilty about it. And I always will feel mm -hmm. guilty about it. But, I, you, know, you know, there's a lot of times that, I mean, I've been fired for a set in Arizona because, you know, uh, the director had seen The Exorcist too many times. And in The Exorcist, William Freakin, to scare the priest when he hears the phone uh, ring, the, the, he's listening mm -hmm. to the recordings of, uh, of the possessed uh, Linda Blair, uh, Regan, um, the voices on, uh, on the recording played backwards and he's freaking out and the phone rings and it's supposed to scare the shit out of him. Well, mm -hmm. he, William freaking wasn't getting, he wasn't given the reaction that William needed. So he took a full load 38 snuck <laughs> up behind him and during that take and fired the gun. Now, wow. He got the, he, that's the reaction. When you see that, that's what happens. The damage that he could have done and probably did mm -hmm. do to the actor. I mean, the actor has even passed away, but it has nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but anyway, I'm in Arizona and this director had seen that scene. He wants to do the same thing. And I'm <sighs> like, I, I can't allow that. I can't allow yeah. the crew not to be informed that we're going to be firing. I can't allow the actor not to have any type of hearing protection. I won't allow it. And they go, mm. well, then you can go home. And uh, I go, fine. So I, you know, I put all my guns away and I, you know, I'm, I'm going away. And then the producer calls me and goes, no, no, no. You know, he was just really upset. And I go, no. Yeah, I go, you mm. know, he treated me like crap. What I did, I did right. What he, I mean, in today's crowd, if that would have happened today, I, you know, I could have had production shut down. Not that I would have, but, you know, you just don't do that because, you know, it's the safety of the crew. And uh, uh, they could have sued you or they. I, I don't yeah. know if I could have got sued. Production could have got sued whenever, whenever. I mean, uh, today, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's my reputation. I don't want people oh, going, yeah. well, you know, he, he you know, uh, I mean, Vic Morrow would probably be alive today if somebody didn't go, Mr. Landis, I think the helicopter is a little too low. Yeah. You know, there's, and I always say that I don't blame the director. The director wants to get the best performed. Mm -hmm. He wants us to be the greatest thing he's ever done, you know, and, and I don't blame the director, but you have an entire, an army of trained professional. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a low budget film, but I was union at the time, Pra trained professional union crew members that needs to step up. The AD is the first one to say, no, Mr. Landis, we can't have children illegally here. No, Mr. Landis, that's, to you know, we can't have these explosions. The pyrotechnician, the stunt coordinator, the the uh, the 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 dolly grant, everybody all the way down, mm -hmm. you know, should have spoke up. And and that's what happens when no one speaks up. Brandon Lee would be alive today if somebody would have spoke up. There's mm -hmm. you know, yeah. 
and, and what happens is people are too afraid. Like, you know, I'm saying that, but, I, you know, I had to weigh the situation, you know, it, you know, to, to say that to the, uh, to the directors and stuff. And people need to be knowledgeable. You know, I, I don't have experience in that, but I've heard that, you know, a blank gun shoots shrapnel out of, you know, people, somebody has died from the shrapnel from even a blank isn't that isn't that true? Yeah, uh, it, 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 the the actor was John Eric Hexham, and uh, mm -hmm. he he took a, a I believe it was a, either a forty four mag or a three fifty seven, which is not modified in any. Our shotguns and our revolvers are are not modified in any way. They yeah. are what they are. The Full only reason power. why we, we do, the only reason why we adapt blanks to automatics is because there's nothing. You know, there's no bullet shooting out to eject Correct. the shell. So, mm -hmm. but John Eric Hexham somehow, when he went on his break, um, was able to take his, his weapon, his real weapon, and he, he took a blank and thought it'd be fun mm -hmm. to play Russian roulette and yeah. he put, put the gun up against his head and the percussion of the blank, because you have wadded, you know, mm -hmm. penetrated, crushed his skull, and he died, I think, a day later in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, wow. uh, and... Gun, guns more so than anything. I mean, I, I've had, you know, you know, we, we get these $50 a day extras coming on set and we're handing them weapons a lot. Of, you know, <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I'm psychotic, you know, you know, there's so many rules that we have to teach. I enjoy doing it. It's cool. I mean, I, I just finished and it's starting up and I don't get to go back on it because I'm on a show here, but um, uh, Queen of the South, which is, mm -hmm. if you ever get a chance to watch that. I, yeah, I was going to ask you about, I haven't I did, seen the show. It's a great show. Uh, it, it, it's a it's it's a based on a true story about a, a female drug mule that rises uh, to um, fame to become the greatest drug cartel there is. But mm -hmm. you know it's an anti-hero <laughs> story. But you love the cast and crew. I'll tell you, uh, there's a guy Hemke, um, TJ, uh, Alicia, uh, the guy that plays King George. Uh, the I have never been so much in love with a cast mm -hmm. before. I mean. Uh, uh, they they would entertain us. They were thankful you were there. I I, I mm -hmm. truly miss that cast and crew. But if you watch, I guarantee if you watch this show, you'll fall in love with it. It's very violent and but very cool. Mm -hmm. I saw you. You were interviewed by a Plastic EP. Yeah. Well, well, right. How do people know this cat? I love him. I, I think don't he's know. fantastic. Been... It's like everybody knows this guy. I, I uh, love him. Well, he's done over two hundred interviews in the wow. last four months. Yeah, he, he should sell like cars or something. He should do yeah. a show and sell used cars. <laughs> I think it'd do great. Oh yeah, you have a storage container. I wanted to ask you about. So you in the you have boxes of movie memorabilia in in your storage container. Yeah, it's slowly dissolving, but yeah, because I've been selling stuff, and it's especially during this pandemic, I was so, getting rid of stuff. So are you are you a you're a collector, right? Do you have your own collection? I was wondering if you, if you have any props that you were able to keep from the movies you've done. Yeah, I, I try to keep something iconic if I can. You know, if I, if, okay. you know, I can get away with it, which not supposed to happen. But yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I have a, a, I have a collection of, of things that I've done, and you know, and a lot of times I will double stuff, like so I can have, you know, like if it's a hero prop, I'll double it. 
And so we, you know, and so we have a couple more of them and stuff. Yeah. Like that, so I, so I could keep it and stuff. But I, yeah, I, I'm a movie guy, so I want to have okay. something, you know. And a lot of times the producers will go, you know, you could have this or you know just take it with you and stuff like that, which is wonderful. Like a, you know, and it could, it, it could be, you know, anything from, you know, uh, uh, Impronta 3D. Mm-hmm. Richard Dreyfuss is dressed up like Hooper at the beginning of the film and he's literally singing show me the way to go home and he reaches down in the water and he pulls up an amnity beer uh ville mm-hmm. beer and uh for some reason they used they, i was doing a camera test i brought the props on and they had me dig out the the beer bottle and for some reason they used me for the uh um the hand so it's my hand and my oh, hands oh, richard drive okay. drive his hand so you know like like that i kept one of the bear bottles you know stuff like that yeah, yeah. do you create any of the props or you just handle the, the props well you know when i was doing power rangers uh we didn't know uh and i didn't know that you know the proper thing to do is to send that stuff off. I didn't have that mm-hmm. kind of money. So okay. if you look at a lot of these props on Power Rangers, you know, you, you could tell it's a, you know, a, a radio shower um, thing that with a slinky with a flashlight <laughs> and a G.I. Joe tank, uh-huh. you know, glue, hot glued together, spray painted mm-hmm. Billy Blue. You know, that device is going to save the world. And, and, mm-hmm. and I was doing that for a long time to the point where when we did start bringing in people, I, I liked it. So I was doing like, you know, there's, there's where I was doing infantries of weapons and stuff. And I was still doing it my way. I was still going to the 99 cent store um, and uh, getting like a gallon water jug and, you know, taking a super soaker and making a mold of sticking it together and, you know, fixing mm-hmm. it up with some, and there's your weapon, you know? I mean, if you look at a lot of my stuff, you, you know, it's like finding, you know, like some kind of weird, where's Waldo? Like, wait, you know, you know, the, the, that's a corkscrew and that's a, you know, it's just weird stuff glued together. I did one yeah. season where for some reason, I'm not sure why I got a bunch of Battlestar Galactica models and every prop was part of the Battlestar Galactica. The entire show was you know, like, you would have like a wrench, but it was like the side of uh, the Battlestar Galactica. And so it was fun, you know, and I had a blast doing that stuff. And, you know, uh, I, go, I went to the toy store. Uh, I, I, I was working on a really low budget film called Killer Ways where um, they, he, the guy wanted Power Ranger props, so he contacted me, and so I made a, a bunch of wacky uh, props. And I was at a Walmart, and they had a Power Ranger thing from when my the first ten years. Usually, the first five years is the most successful, I think, for Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. They had our robot, which was Alpha Five, and uh, the command, the Zordon guy, and you got it together. But you got a little teddy bear with it, and the <laughs> teddy bear was like half teddy bear and the head had like an alpha five robot head and i remember that in the storyline we were supposed to wake up alpha wakes up and goes to zordon in the middle of the night like uh he's been sleeping and i thought it'd be funny if he had a teddy bear and so i took two uh um just regular tupperware bowls flipped them over cut a hole taped around it and put two ping pong balls on it and put little eyelids on it and stuck it on the teddy bear and gave it to her that teddy bear was sold with the, with the, you know, like a little version of it, you know? And I love that. I mean, no one even asked me to do that. I just thought it'd be fun to do. If the director didn't like it, they would have got rid of it. But, you know, there it is, you know, 
uh, you know, like something I just <laughs> threw together. It's iconic. Also, I did like the communicators. I was told to make the communicators. Me and uh, Yudak, who the production designer, went out on Melrose and just bought. I just thought, bought a bunch of watches and we threw it together. And they made. And and if you're a Power Ranger fan, you own one of my communicators. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. And, and and of course, I'll see somebody walking down the street, adult, and it's all adults now that have this stuff mm-hmm. right and i'll walk up and i go hey i i made that and you know and then they kind of like walk across the street looking at me weird I, was like, yeah, I, I, got a, I got a lot of that though i mean i remember back in the day when i was at toys r us you know you know holding up like a a, a, a ninja turtle um transformer thing and thinking if i put them upside down i'm like and i'll be having the toys and i'm i'm in the toy store and i'll look over and the mother's like pulling their child away from me you know? yeah, yeah. And a lot of that <laughs> So you mentioned um, Kane Hodder. My man. You're, you're doing a movie with him. Is that true? No, you, you know. Or you can't. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing. You were I, traveling uh, with him. Yeah, I was. I, I got a project, and I thought they would release what the project is. And okay. this, is, this is what gets me in trouble all the time is, you know, uh, like I'll take a picture on set, you know, and the, the actor will come over. You know, hey, I want to, you know, I, you know, I want to throw this on my horror icona page. And, and, you know, I can't show it because he's in the wardrobe of that and the show's not out yeah. for another five months. So, yeah, unfortunately, okay. yeah. But, I, but I've done a lot. I mean, uh, Kane Hodder was the stunt coordinator on Devil's Rejects. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've done a lot of stuff. And every chance I get, in fact, the producer I'm working with right now produced uh, Hatchet, which was one of, mm-hmm. the, you know, one of his biggest films. Um, every chance I get, I try to get Kane. I just, I just really like the guy. Mike, you went to talk oh, about it. So I saw your interview with uh, Sergeant Horror, the pig man. man. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> I love the sergeant. Yeah, I was watching some of that interview, Mark, and uh, I noticed you had a real interest and a passion with uh, the Salem Witch Trials. And uh, what's your connection there? What's your passion? You know, my wife and I, um, you know, I, I'm one of those guys – as much as I hate the travel channel, I like to go to locations and I like, if it's haunted, I want to stay there, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm very much into that. My, and my wife is, she's like Miss Queen Mary. Like she's the go-to woman for the Queen Mary, but we both, uh, we started studying about the, uh, the Salem witch trials. And so we went there and, you know, it's beautiful. I love, I I loved it. Um, it was great because, uh, they had an actual statue of bewitched in the middle of their town. <laughs> the, their police cars have witches on it. But my, wow. mm-hmm. w- what I find the most fascinating about Salem witchcrafts is, I mean, uh, Salem is, and witches, is that all these witches, these women and men were killed and they were the most religious people in the world. These mm-hmm. are, you know, so strong into religion, you know, right. and it was just a political way of getting their land. And, you know, these women, nobody, you know, all they had to do is go, okay, I'm a witch. And they go, okay, well, then mm-hmm. you could leave. And they could have just walked away. But these people right. chose to, to be hung or tortured right. and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and die because and, and, they knew they were going to go to heaven um, than to say they were a witch. And, and, and right. that, all their stories, every one of them is just heartbreaking. And just, you know, and just to see how corrupt you know, the, 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 the system was and how corrupt that type of religion was and, and how they used, you know, things to make their, to be, to gain that. And, you know, they, mm-hmm. they just put a couple of years ago, I think it was the Catholic church put a monument, a monument to, you know, saying 
this is this monument stands that will never do be this ignorant again kind of thing like that mm-hmm. i've read right, these right. Mon- there's i've read this a couple times in uh in america's history i was uh shooting a film in, in Lone Pine where they had a, a, a Japanese containment camp and uh, they, they had like a the shrine there and, the, and there's a, a monument there that says, this monument stands so we will not be that ignorant again. Something That's out in California, me, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something, something tells me that, you know, uh, with these uh, Confederate statues going down, I think we're going to see a lot of plaques and stuff going up you know right uva on on uva campus instead of taking down thomas jefferson's uh statue they're trying to contextualize it so they're going to you know work around the history um and and give information to put it in context yeah and i think that's brilliant you know and but you know what yeah it's funny because something tells me there's going to be a a statue about 2020 going, you know, how ignorant we were this time. So it's just, you know, it's just our way, I guess. Have a mask on it. Right. Yeah, I know. It's going to be a bronze mask. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but that's, that, that's, you know, one, it's, you know, I like the creepy vibe to Salem, but I also like the history and the heartbreaking uh, stories that exist there. And they, they really, What's wonderful is they have, and in California, we're the worst. They haven't destroyed, like, the prisons, the jails there, the house, you know, the, the, all these places are there still, and you can go there. You can walk. You could be in those rooms. You could see what they went through, and I love that. I love that part of history. And I was just reading yesterday in the news about how millennials and Gen Z have a very limited uh, amount of information, very limited knowledge regarding the Holocaust and anything surrounding that. And uh, yeah, I just think, uh, you know, more information, more knowledge. We need, we need to be informed. We do. I mean, I honestly think that if we would have just embraced the, you know, the, the, the Holocaust more and really looked at what we as humans did I think we'd be better people because that's mm-hmm. so horrifying. You know, they, right. they would, and all these ge- genocides where we just go in there and just, you know, all w- w- this project I was doing, you know, they were showing where they, the indigenous Indian tribes, they wiped them out because they wanted the homesteaders. They didn't want the indigenous tribe there. And like, we just went right. in there and wiped them out. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's just horrifying, you know? I don't know. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah, but it's, we can all learn from it and move forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's move on because I'm getting depressed. <laughs> well, let's talk about, since our podcast, it's mostly about music. Oh, really? I'm going to ask you some music questions. Oh, yeah. So, cool. growing up, what were some of your favorite bands or singers when you grew up? Um, you or when know, you were a kid? Yeah, you're grown up, right, Mark? Yeah. I'm trying to. No, I'm not. To be honest with you, I'm a man boy. <laughs> my sister was really big into the Beatles and the Beach Boys, which, you know, mm-hmm. EP is all about that. I love the Monkees. Uh, okay. I like the Partridge family. But uh, it wasn't until high school that uh, somebody gave me, uh, was, I went into his room and he was playing and he showed me the album cover for Alice Cooper Killer. And Alice yes, Cooper, after Alice, that, Cooper. <laughs> Alice Cooper, after that was my man. You know, mm-hmm. here's a guy that was doing vaudevillian horror, uh, Grand Goujol uh, horror mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. You know, and I, I was just rock like, and roll and rock and roll, and you know, and, and mm-hmm. I, I, 
you know, and I, I have to admit that, you know, I wanted to be Alice Cooper. I, that, yeah, you know, I, yeah. that was, that's been a part of my life too. You know, I love doing uh, horror rock or, you know, kind of. And thing. he had a great range of songs. I mean, he, his ballad, people don't realize some of the ballads that he did that they probably don't think it's Alice Cooper. Yeah. A song. I think it's you and I. Yeah. That love song from the mid seventies. Yeah. How are you going to see me now? Yeah. But yeah. you know, Hey, <laughs> I, I know it was an early song and it's overplayed, but God, I love Ballad of Dwight Fry. And the fact is, okay. you know, Dwight Fry, I love that song. My wife loves that song. You know, I, that's one of my favorite Alice Cooper songs and stuff. I love, yeah, I'm a big Cooper fan. I, when I was doing okay. Piranha 3D, I was like, wait, doesn't Alice Cooper have a, a coffee, a, a shop here or so? And mm -hmm. it was in, a, in, in um, right next to the, um, the baseball stadium, it was Cooperstown. And, mm -hmm. and like every other weekend, it was like a four hour drive, but I drove there just to mm -hmm. sit in his, 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 uh, his bar and grill, his sports bar. In and Cooperstown? Was, yeah, it, it doesn't exist anymore. You uh -huh. let it go. But uh, I mean, I was kind of bummed. One, they didn't play in. I thought it was going to be, you know, the waitress comes up, she has Alice Cooper makeup and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, <laughs> they don't play any. Alice Cooper there. I was like, can we play out? And, and Alice didn't yeah. want, he didn't want that, but you could buy, you know, like memorabilia and stuff there and stuff. Which yeah. Is I met Alice at Chiller, one of the oh, Chiller great. theater events. Yeah. And for this show or Halloween show, we do a segment called odd songs. And he's got, and one is Millie and Billy. You probably know that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah from, uh, from the inside. Marcy, Marcy. Levy. Yeah. She's the, she's the singer on the song. Oh, really? I, Yes. Yeah, she worked with Eric Clapton. Wow. And then she was in Shakespeare's Sister. But we got her to record a couple minutes talking about the recording of the song. That's so we're going to focus on Millie yeah. and Billy. Yeah, it's, yeah, a great, it's a great song. It really is. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm very I'm, – I'm glad the guy is just out there just doing, doing it, you know. There mm -hmm. was a period where he, had, he was going through a stage, and I was still a diehard – I mean, I was punk rock but I was still a, a diehard Alice Cooper fan. But uh, yeah, they, I, I, and, and I remember writing them and saying, you know, uh, you know, talking about, you know, Motley Crue's doing Department of Youth, you know, and it's a big hit. <laughs> you, why yeah. aren't you doing horror films and stuff like that? Yeah. And I wrote him this long fan letter that I'm sure he never read, but uh, it was great to see him starting to do, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and doing mm -hmm. songs for Friday the 13th and, John Carpenter loved him, and I loved Alice Cooper and all those. I thought they were he was great. Yeah. Do you go to um, many, many concerts? concerts? Like, what, what what would you say the last concert you went uh, to what, was? What was the, what was the band we went to? Uh, I had played a show, and uh, I, it's funny because, and I, you know, like I want to be Alice Vicious, you know, like I do a punk rock show. <laughs> I, you know, I'm okay. 63 years old, but <laughs> the end of my show, I'm still covered in blood. But what what show did we go see? It was right after my show. Bastille, yeah. yeah, Bastille. I think it was for her. Yeah. It, they were good though. I liked them. You know, but like, yeah, I've got I, them on my latest Apple playlist. Yeah, um, uh, but I think the last because I always see Cooper whenever I wherever I can get see him at, and mm -hmm. um, but I think the Dickies was what my last show at the House of Blues in Anaheim was the show I saw before that. You know, but yeah, and I love the Dickies. Oh. It's like one of my favorite punk mm -hmm. bands. Yeah. So, what instrument do you play in your band? I am uh, my stage name is Marky M A R K Y Desaad, and I okay. just I'm just I, I'm just an Alice Cooper wannabe. That's all I am. Okay. 
So you sing or you play yeah. an instrument? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if I told you guys, um, Enigma Records, who went on to sign some of the greatest punk acts in the world, like, you mm -hmm. know, Fear and Cramps and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We were the first, my band, The Hypnotics, was the first band they ever signed. And I thought, you know, we were the first band on this label that's going to be um, badass. And, uh, you know, the, we, we had a tour lined up and our keyboard player ended up fight, beating up on his girlfriend, just all of him going to jail. It was just horrible. I, I just thought, you know, this is my big break. And I was going out there just beating the shit out of myself and being all punk rock. And we just never really, really went anywhere with it. <laughs> It was close. It sounds like you had a, I, I, a break. I got the record deal. We got the yeah. record deal. And I didn't even believe it. I, I, like, I remember when Steve Goldsmith, who was our, our, gold, uh, our bass player, but he was also the leader of the band, when he came in and said, yeah, we got a record deal on Enigma Records, I'm like, we do not. You know, and we were <laughs> literally a garage band. And, you know, and I wrote I, my, those songs, to be honest with you, if they were hits, you know, I would be, you know, I'd be taken outside and lynched because I wrote to be <laughs> offensive. I wrote, what is mm -hmm. the most offensive thing? What offends me? And, you know, I'm a horror guy. What offends me? I'm going to put this into a, a song and, 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 you know, and we're going to be like punk rock offensive guys and stuff. Mm -hmm. And we didn't go anywhere. But if somebody goes, Mark Richardson wants to go for, his, you know, some type of political ver person. Oh, you know, yeah, you're let's, done. Let's, let's, let's look yeah. at him. And they, <laughs> yeah. they, find that they go, listen to this, folks. You know, I'm dead. Hey, what year was that? Was this like uh, 1979 or what kind of? Uh, Hypnotics was 82. Okay. That came out in 82. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we started in 79. Then we had 80, 81. And uh, we recorded in 81. It came out in 82. Okay. And then, and then I, I, I did do a uh, full on. What I, and it was weird because I wanted to be, I wanted to do like punk rock metal. And like, no, it doesn't exist. You know, either a punk rock or you're a metal. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. no, no, we can do punk rock metal in the early <laughs> days of, and, 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 I, and I'm still rocking Alice Cooper type songs. And the, the, my band wanted to go, you know, wanted to go glam. And I'm like, no, no, we can go glam, but it's got to be horror glam. And it was way before any of this stuff happens and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I, um, because of my success, because I was on Enigma, I was able to get a, a recording deal with, uh, um, uh, of a punk rock label in downtown LA. So we went in the studio and recorded all these um, metal um, horror metal songs. And although none of that, we never put them out on vinyl. It's never even came out on CD. Uh, I did. I sold almost every one of those songs to movies. So like, and we, you remember USA up all night? Oh yeah. 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 Um, they would, they would play movies that I had sold songs to. So mm -hmm. it was my metal stuff that was doing really well. Like people knew the stuff only because of these movies, but we never went anywhere. And once again, I, you know, and I know it's a cop out, but once again, I had a band that just, you know, we were getting offers to play all these shows. And in fact, we got a movie deal for, from Canon and we did the movie and I was up against uh, LA guns, which had slash, I think at the time yeah. in it, mm -hmm. um, you're all these big bands and, and my band Assad, my metal band, uh, went against them we won and got the part and they used our song and stuff and but even with that <laughs> the guys were like no you know no i don't i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to go tour i don't want to play what do you guys want to do and they're like i don't uh -huh. know man. I, don't, I don't know what i want to do <laughs> for our listeners that was nose towards the table <laughs> um yeah that's that's sad 
Yeah, and and, and then uh, a couple years ago, uh, and then after that, I went back to what you know I loved the most, which was just drunken punk rock. And uh, we had a band. I had a band called Six Four Seven F, which the only thing in common we had, and this is. My my father and I owned a pawn shop next to Compton, and I'm like, oh, good, good for instruments. instruments, great for instruments and equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was getting less balls for fifty bucks, um, the little blood stains on them. Um, but uh, um, you know, I was a surfer dude, you know, punk rock surfer dude in Compton, and uh, and and we would play, we would sell like you know rap tapes and stickers and stuff like that and so we were blessed by the gangs because we supported you know the kids there and stuff but my band 647f was from that area and uh 647f is a police code it was very you know by today's standards once again very anti-cop because you know i worked in a pawn shop i had a gun license at 17 (laughs) and uh i was punk rock but that band, I'm still in 647F. I still play shows with every once in a while. Okay, very cool. Didn't know about your musical history there. Excellent. Yeah, the fun songs to look up with uh, my stuff is Madonna of the Dead. I do a Rod Serling <laughs> intro about Madonna coming back from the dead. And uh, I, 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 you couldn't play any of this stuff on, the, on, your, on your podcast unless you're no, no. Um, I also do uh, the hypnotics. We had a second album that was never released. And I had a song called Jerry's on drugs. And I do a mm-hmm. Jerry Lewis impersonation. Which, <laughs> when I did, when I did the show, I, I would good. love it. Cause you'd get these, you know, skinheads and stuff and yeah, then, yeah, you know, yeah. in the pit. But when I did Jerry's on drugs and I was watching David Letterman, Jerry Lewis was saying that he, uh, that he was on speed the whole time he was on tour. And that's where he had that oh, pretty lady, you know, that whole character came from drugs. <laughs> and so I, I do, <laughs> I, I, it, I, it's my band and they're just going, Jerry's on drugs, Jerry's on drugs. Really and I come out like Jerry Lewis, like the absent-minded <laughs> professor. And I tried to sing Jerry's on drugs with him in a Jerry Lewis routine. personally like to say that I would never do anything like that. And that's on vinyl. You could actually that's hear hilarious. that. Like I, if you look on YouTube, you could find me okay. doing Jerry's on drugs. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cutting yeah. edge there. Cutting edge. Yeah. Dr. Demento <laughs> played that. Dr. Demento did play oh, that. Oh, wow. Nice. Very cool. It's, so, it's so called it's called Jerry's on drugs. Yeah. And the band's like yeah. hypnotics. And there yeah. was a, there was another band called the hypnotics, which is was mm-hmm. is a hippie band. And I would have probably thrown bottles at them in my drunken state back then. <laughs> but uh, we were the hypnotics. Yeah. So um, is there anything we missed before we. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff, go. but but, you know, it's been fun. Yeah. Doing this. 
So where where can I do you have a website uh, like a horror website or you know the only thing I have and I started it for the pandemic because I wanted to get as many followers as I could to sell my goods without mm-hmm. going on eBay and not being yeah. noticed. But um, <laughs> if anyone listening wants to join me on Horror Icona and it's just Horror I C A N A Horror Icona, come join me, talk to me. You know, uh, I love, you know, and I, I love writing horror stories. My wife mm-hmm. uh, contributes horror stories. Um, sometimes we talk about investigations. I do. And I don't know why I always make fun of it because I'm a hardcore believer in ghosts. I just, it's just, mm-hmm. a, you know, it, it, it's become so, you know, I was, I was filming a, a movie, a horror film at a Linda Vista hospital, which used to be a really hotspot for uh, ghosts and stuff. And the ghost mm-hmm. adventurers came right after me. And I had left thinking it would be cool. I had made all these, like, it was for the film, these creepy dolls. And I had hid them, hidden them in spots that I knew the next film company was going to find them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and, of course, they found them. And they're talking about them being ancient and demonic and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, and I got it at the swap meet. But I, you know, so I, just, I know what kind of tools they are, uh, but you know, I say that next month I'm going to be on their show going, you know, I love you guys, but, um, uh, uh, um, but, uh, you know, I, I do love that environment. I, you know, and weird stuff does happen that I can't explain. And I think that's the reason why I love it. So plus, you know, I'm a creepy kid, you know, I love that. Stuff. <laughs> I think uh, most people believe after they've experienced you know you experience one or two things that are pretty big it's like yeah okay that's mysterious well it was good talking to you mark that was a lot of fun yeah great stories all right thank you very much man hey, all right. I, feel, I feel bad is it darren we didn't get to talk darren's just quiet there well, i mean yeah i i don't know i didn't want to interrupt but um uh, you got to be a famous monsters of Filmland guy right yeah, very much. Forrest Ackerman was my man. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Do you know uh, Joe Moe by any chance? No. Okay, yeah. I'll look him up. Yeah, yeah, he was a, he was a big uh, Forrest fan, too. I, uh, I had a huge, I still do. That's part of my collection is a Forrest, right. you know, famous monster stuff. But that's part of everyone's collection, I guess. Okay, Mark. Thank you. All right, you. guys. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to my Take care. shotgun <laughs> spitting out stuff to you guys. See you later. <laughs> Intro and exit music by the band 99%. Today's show is produced and edited by Jim Thatcher. You can find Jim and Mike Talk on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and their host site, Podbean. The intro and exit music to the interview was created by Jim Thatcher. The song Jerry's on Drugs, used with permission by Mark A. Richardson.